Welcome to Work Matters, where we explore what leaders can do to make work more productive, valuable, meaningful, and impactful. I am your host, Thomas Bertels. In today's episode of Work Matters, we'll explore the topic of transformational leadership. And my guest is Faisal Hoek. Faisal is an entrepreneur, thought leader, technology innovator, and advisor. He is the founder of Shadoka and Next Chapter, and he has developed more than 20 commercial business and technology platforms. He has worked with companies such as GE, MasterCard, American Express, PepsiCo, IBM, and the U.S. Department of Defense. And he is the best-selling author of Reinvent, Everything Connects, and Lift. In our discussion, we will explore what transformational leadership is and why it is so critical to strive in a post-pandemic world. We'll explore the practices of transformational leadership and how leaders can use it to create conditions for employees to do their best work. Finally, we'll discuss how to balance humanity and empathy with process and structure. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation, and if you do so, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Here's my conversation with Faisal Hook. Faisal, without further ado, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure always to talk to you. Your book, Lift, has become a bestseller. You can't walk through an airport without seeing it. I really enjoyed it. I think you make a really compelling case for a, a, a different kind of leadership. If I can quote from your book, you say, we need a decidedly different, more evolved form of leadership where we're all more empowered to choose just how we pursue different goals, where collaboration is far more effective and meaningful than the quid pro quo and where individuals can benefit from unprecedented autonomy and capacity to craft their own lives. Uh, that's a very ambitious statement, uh, and I really like it. Um, why do we need that? Right? What are some of those, those, those forces that necessitate really a different approach to leadership? Look, um, I wrote Lyft almost now uh, 24, 36 months ago. Um, you know, and we were coming right out of pandemic. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've seen what happens when people are put under a lot of different constraints in the sense that you cannot travel, you cannot go to work, uh, you cannot even go and buy food. Uh, you have to do all those things uh, in a very different way. So what we've really found out that, um, especially during the pandemic, is that how resourceful people became and they kind of reinvented that they really don't need to go go to work. They can work for themselves, right? I mean, you can talk to anybody, work with anybody. All of us almost have uh, friends, family, co-workers across the globe, right? So, so this gives a different kind of empowerment. With that kind of individualistic empowerment, uh, the way we lead, the way we sell, the way we'll produce products, the way we uh, collaborate, think about uh, the uh, long-lasting impact on the globe, uh, you know, changes uh, the leadership mindset, right? So that's what really I try to explore. And if you look at when I wrote it versus now, that, you know, we are now a little more mobile, we're all traveling, uh, we are together and not just virtual, physically together. There are lots of conversation about psychological impact, isolated work versus community work and being in a group, you know, the cultural shift kind of got accelerated, right? So, so the, along with that shift, obviously the, you know, the leadership mindset has to change because we can lead the same way. 
uh, do, let's say, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think that's really profound. I think a lot of people overestimated like, the short-term impact of the pandemic on the work world and, and underestimated the long-term impacts. Right? New approach to leadership. What are some characteristics of a transformational leader from, from your point of view? You know, I had a unique uh, advantage during pandemic because I have had global workforce pretty much my entire life. And I've worked uh, in global time zone pretty much my entire life. And I always had colleagues, clients, teams across the globe. So it actually kind of prepared me in a different way for a pandemic than perhaps it did for a lot of people. I have had a home office probably, I don't know, 25 years, you know, I'm even though I had an office office, I always had a home office, right? So <clears throat> what I really realized in the context of writing Lyft was that, you know, how you connect with people, that's obviously very much of a, a emotional intelligence uh, factor in the sense that how we communicate, how we tap into our empathy to relate to what other people are going through and taking uh, that under consideration how do we inspire and you know and influence them? There's definitely an element of this emotional intelligence, right? That's factor number one. Factor number two is that you really have to put together uh, a, a repeatable process, especially in the context of uh, this kind of uh, pseudo structure where people are all responsible for themselves and doing their own thing. You need to have a process so that people do understand uh, why they're doing what they're doing, how it impacts the organization as a whole, what the organization is trying to achieve, and how do we keep that communication transparent? And as a result, make that transparency part of our collaborative governance process, right? Uh, that's the second factor. And the third factor is that, you know, I mean, things are dramatically changing uh, and things are, uh, will continue to change. And now we, you know, and we've seen uh, how some technology got, you know, they were kind of percolating and, but it got just accelerated because of the need and the usage. Uh, so with this communication technology or information technology, we've seen this advent of uh, artificial intelligence and robotics and all that just got super accelerated, right? So the question is, how do we, uh, you know, take advantage of those technology, but yet unlock the humanity uh, so that the creative and innovative forces can survive and we don't get steamrolled with, with technology itself? And what are the skills that do you need in the context of that advent of new technology? Emotional intelligence, process and way of pulling people together and unlocking humanity in the context of technology. Those are kind of the three elements that I see, and one doesn't work without the other. You also talk a lot in the book about experimental learning. So why is this necessary? We used to go to a restaurant and we used to get a menu, right? And then during the pandemic, you you uh, kind of got gotten this exposure to QRP code. And it's a, and I knew we, many of us, including myself, who happens to be a technologist, kind of got annoyed. I wanted to see it physical menu, but, you know, here's the QRP code and you, you know, scan it and see it, right? So it, it, it forced us to develop different kind of behavioral pattern because of our need 
utilizing technology. And we're, you know, that's just a simple example because all of us can relate to that. Now, many restaurants don't actually have a menu. I mean, you, you open up a QRP code and, and do it. So how it relates to experiential learning is that it is the collective human experience that forces certain behavioral pattern, right? And it's also the technology that enable or disable certain patterns that we're familiar with. So whether we are like it or not, we are constantly being uh, subject to experimentation uh, because of global shift, technological sh shift, and cultural shift, right? So, so the experiential uh, behavioral uh, patterns is uh, the learning uh, possibilities that allows us to grow. Look at uh, how popularized all this podcast and Zoom conversation has become because we were forced to uh, be at home. It, it, it wasn't that technology wasn't there. It's the behavioral pattern that changed our uh, experiential uh, way of learning of doing certain things in certain way. There's a leverage for that because it, it reduces the, the cost and it increases the productivity. So the experiential learning is, is a, could be a forced behavior or it can be forced on you. Uh, to reinvent yourself and an organization, it is better that you force yourself to learn something new and doing different things than otherwise. I mean, I mean, you finished your book, uh, you know, uh, not too long ago. I mean, you know the writing process. I mean, simple example is now when you go to Gramify and you want to do a, a reference check, you ask the Gramify's AI engine to make sure that the references are accurate and, and the citations are accurate, right? Not necessarily you would do that even five years ago, right? So, so these are, you know, and you can take it at a much broader scale whereby, um, you know, um, workforce enablement with, uh, with different kind of technology, whether that's in manufacturing with robotics or whether that's utilizing business intelligence tools, but along with AI and, uh, you know, a data collection and logical uh, prediction or whatever the case may be. So, so, so all of these are experiential learning and whether you like it or not, you'll be forced upon it. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's like uh, cooking with a pressure cooker versus uh, cooking with a regular pot, right? I mean, it's a, you can look at it in a very rudimentary way, but these are all result of experiential uh, learning and experiential behavioral changes. We've seen it on the internet. Right. Amazon always tests all these sites, optimize. I think what's really new is that companies now, in, to some degree, do that inside their organizations. This is what I hear you say. And I think the other piece I think that's interesting about it, that we're not looking at it like, as a deployment of technology in isolation, but we're really looking at it as an experiment and realize that my people are a component of that which I think is also interesting and, and also new. We're not just saying we're going to plug this in, but we're going to run little experiments and the things that work, we're going to double down on. The things that don't work, we're going to discontinue. And I haven't seen that um, really happening in, in large organizations. And, and it's exciting to see that that's starting up. What kind of environment do leaders need to create to really enable experimentation at scale? Look, oddly enough, a lot of these changes and, and technological advances 
to really leverage and, and benefit from it requires very rudimentary old school uh, thinking and learning. The, the notion of a beginner's mind, that having an open mind to learn something new, the notion of uh, forcing yourself to, to uh, be empathetic to the situation uh, because by nature or by human, uh, we have to do something differently, right? This is where that transformational leadership comes in when we're talking about empathy, right? Of course, the basic empathy means that I care about somebody's suffering. But but if you want to take it one step farther, what can I do about it? If, if I feel about somebody's suffering, is there a solution that I can provide? So this mindset is a huge part of how you start uh, shifting and, and gearing. And that all has to be very mindful of opportunity, mindful of your capability, mindful and being empathetic to what problem you're solving and, and then crafting a solution, uh, utilizing whatever is available and, and inspiring and influencing the internal people uh, to make that happen, right? So all of that is kind of interconnected. What I found really interesting at the beginning of the pandemic, like in, in so Q2 of, I guess, 2021, was that companies were able to pivot very, very quickly right, into like this remote uh, environment, obviously assuming that, that you know, you're in an industry where that, where that uh, is possible. And that was the only time, I think, in the last four or five years that the Gallup engagement survey showed like uptick. It was one of these times where we had to rely on people closer to the problem to find the solution versus right, sitting in a boardroom and saying, here's how is this exactly going to look like. My sense is looking at your book is that there's this fundamental message there that the role of a transformational leader to, to create that space, create that autonomy and, and create a culture that brings out the best in people. But I also feel that we've still like been, been backsliding a little bit after that. And we're going back to this model of like, well, maybe technology can help us get rid of like the pesky humans who also have demands and needs and, and want things from us. Do you think that this is like a tale of two cities where some leaders double down on humanity and others say, let's go back to a more a transactional model? It's always about balance, right? As much as we uh, see a lot of things that worked uh, during pandemic, we also see a lot of things that didn't work, right? Uh, and and some, as you said, some type of work is not uh, is not you know the, it's natural to be uh, you know b working from home. But if you are doing manufacturing or if you're a doctor or a nurse, you can do it from home. We we did some of it, like you know with teleworking, telehealth, and all that stuff in the healthcare space. But you know certain jobs are not naturally. You know, you can't just make it as a telework. But I mean, so so my hope is that we don't lose the learning, both benefit and the drawbacks, because human being needs interaction. You know, you do need physical interaction. Right? So you can't say that everybody's going to work, uh, you know, all the time from home, and we're never going to have to meet each other, and that's going to make us more productive. It, it, creativity and innovation it's a it's a team sport you know i mean isolation and 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 solitude uh, allows you to spark the innovation or creativity but at the, in the at the end when you actually try to make something sustainable it, it require this cross pollination of ideas and expertise that makes something 
workable, right? All that requires, um, you know, the human interaction. And furthermore, by the way, humanity is a social being, right? I mean, that's why we have families. That's why we have friends. uh, That's why we have community. So you can't have like total isolated workforce. so, So that doesn't work, right? What it is about is flexibility and freedom. That's what it really boils down to. If you do a psychological analysis of human being, we all love freedom. We all love a certain amount of flexibility so that we can uh, take care of other things besides work. Oh, by the way, when you give people that, and actually I wrote this like almost 10 years ago in my other book called Everything Connect, is a line where it says, we need structure, we need process and structure, but the process and structure is also the killer of innovation and creativity. It's kind of a paradoxical statement, but that is true. We want people to give the flexibility and the solitude so that they can feel at ease and they can be connected. Because at the end of the day, why do we work? I mean, we work because we want to be fulfilled, but we also want to be taking care of our families. I mean, those are so fundamental. So when we go to this extreme that you have like people working all the time at their office and total isolation, I mean, you reach a burnout point and then you lose the creativity and innovation. And there's many, many started studies, right? In a startup mode, and when I was in my 20s, you know, I did the same thing. We would stay in the office multiple nights and we wouldn't go home. And then there would be a null, like nothing would be coming up because you burnt out. So there's a balance of how we do. There's ancient uh, proverb where I come from in Sanskrit, originally from Sanskrit. It says that if you pull the string too hard, it will break. But if it's too loose, it doesn't make music, right? And it is so true. I mean, you, there's a balance that everybody needs that allows you to be flexible and allows you to be free, allows you to be uh, have that solitude, connect with the nature, connect with yourself. And there is that drive of, of uh, interconnected community that holds you accountable to produce. But when you, when you make those two things together, that's when the magic happens. So the role of a transformational leader is actually educating the leader himself or herself, but also the workforce and the team that he or she leading to develop that mindset, you know, that, that balanced mindset. Uh, everything is not always good. Everything is not always bad. And I mean, we lose sight when we look at things from that singular bias notion where we think, you know, just one extreme to other extreme. I mean, look at what has happened to to our country. I mean, we have become very divisive, uh, you know, partly because we've gotten very biased and we cannot take a balanced look uh, in terms of what is right and what is wrong and what is really long-term and what is short-term. It's not all or nothing proposition, right? So when the leaders lose that perspective, that's when they start failing. That's one of the things I really like about your book. That, right, you got these two extremes, right? the structure and process, and we got all the answers, and, and, and it's like the more unconstrained uh, startup mode. And, and you got to draw inspiration from both and, and really lean into this and, and try things out and experiment. And my sense is that probably in most organizations, at least right, the ones that are larger and have been around for a while, we probably erred too much on the side of structure and process. It's a control issue, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the thing, the only way you can be productive 
is when you control people, right? But it's it's not. People are productive when they're inspired, and people are productive when they feel like whatever they are doing, uh, it is actually making an impact to the larger why a entity exists, right? I mean, our, an organization has a mission, right? You've also seen a lot of conversation about the impact economy and social economy, et cetera, et cetera, right? Sustainable economy. We don't have to reinvent this term because if you read the Peter Drucker's book from 1950s and 60s, he defined it as that the, the, the sole purpose of an organization is to have a greater impact on the society as a general through commerce and through growth, right? So, so it doesn't matter what you call today, whether you call it impact economy or some other term, that is the notion of an organization. That should be the notion of an organization. And what is an organization? It's a collection of people, right? I mean, so how do you get people motivated and inspired if they don't understand why they exist and whatever they're doing on a daily basis is making a, a dent on the larger why of that organization, right? A leader's job is not to demand or do the work of those people. It is to translate the organizational why and how those threads connect. So that systemic uh, process and systemic establishment of communication and tracking allows you to, to see that in a transparent way, right? So you have to inspire, but you have to enable them. The systemic process and, and tracking is, is that, that enablement of, of that transparency. I, mean, I love the fact that you bring it back to Peter Drucker in the 50s and 60s. How come that 50 or 60 years after this has all been written and we're still stuck in the same situation that we were like 60, 70 years ago when those words were truly revolutionary? We have to have this constant dialogue about what does it mean to be human beings and what does it mean to live in a human society and how do we uplift each other? The reason I called the book Lift, it was that see, if you want to lift everybody, right, then first you have to lift yourself. How do you lift yourself? Constantly question of what you're doing and how your action impacts other people, right? So if you do that, then it doesn't matter how small of a leader you are or how big of a leader you are. I'm talking in the context of how small of an organization you may be part of or how large of a organization you may be part of or whatever your title is, we all have the, the ability, the right, and the desire to lead, whether you're leading ourselves or whether you're leading an organization, right? So we have to kind of constantly, constantly remind ourselves those basic principles of humanity. And if we don't, then we'll make a mess. And we have a tendency of making a mess repeatedly. And then we do cross-correction for a few years, and then we go back, right? I mean, that's just the human history. Yeah, two steps forward, one or two steps back. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> Do you think that this is a nature versus nurture topic to some people, right? Have like a transformational leadership gene, others don't. Well, what's your take on that? I think it's a practice, right? I mean, it's just like anything else. Some people are naturally are born a certain way. You know, like some people are more athletic than others. Some people are more empathetic than others. Uh, uh, some people instantly understand the broader picture 
uh, you know, some people have the natural ability to solve problems, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of the things that we're talking about, you know, meaning the the mindfully uh, practicing empathy or having a beginner's mind to learn, uh, you know, uh, anything and everything, right? Uh, having, having uh, you know, there's this notion of um, uh, enabling others, uh, you know, for, for greater success. You know, these are practice. It takes a lot of effort to practice it. So, for example, just go through a course of a day, right? How many times we get frustrated and we get very self-absorbed and then when things are bad, we take it on other people. And, and, and so, so it takes conscious practice that analogy, make sure your strings are properly balanced, otherwise it's not going to make music, right? So it takes a conscious grounding, if I can use that word, to practice all this. And the better you practice it, the more you you can do this. And I have actually covered this uh, notion of practice repeatedly uh, in not just in Lyft, but also in, you know, in Everything Connects. And then I tie it back to the most recent release of reInvent. All of them have this notion of practice, in which I call devotion. Again, I, I went back to the, the Eastern philosophy of, of a devotion. It's a pursuit of, uh, you know, life pursuit adding value, right? I mean, that's what devotion and means. And, and you have to practice. Uh, there is no short answer. It's just like exercising, right? I mean, if you don't exercise, well, you're going to be out of shape. I mean, that's, you know, it's just the same way. Your mind needs practice. I like this idea of devotion, right? Being committed to, yeah. to a higher cause. But your book really brings, I think, like a more Eastern mindset to that, right? That I think is a little bit missing in, in our capitalistic theory of the world. So if, we, if we actually study the human history, and if we study all the wisdom that has come way before us, you really can't connect the dots. I mean, none of the things that you and I are talking about is new. What's, what is a reminder is that you have to practice it, and it takes effort to practice it, right? And, and, and so if you don't, then you would not be have the same kind of opportunity to, to better yourself and the people to, that you're leading. But, you know, the good news is because of technology, it's easy to practice, right? When you have, you have all kind of enabler, you know, anything from, you know, a meditation app to, uh, you know, organize your, what you do on a daily basis. You know, I mean, I mean, I constantly talk about, you know, the, the, the very need of being able to disconnect on a daily basis, you know, not, not schedule like 37 meetings because you're going to be utterly unproductive and utterly useless as a leader if you just run from meetings to meetings, right? So, so these are so basic and so simple, but yet that's what we do, right? We don't do a very good job at it because we're not taking care of those very basic things. To your point, right? I think we're missing out on connecting with ourselves, but also right, taking inspiration from everything that happened before us. And, and I absolutely agree. I think that there's a there's a lot of wisdom there that that we really ignore at our own peril. Um, but I think a lot of those yeah. those, those, those lessons, yeah. I think we need to relearn. Um, listen, Faisal, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing the ideas from Lyft and from some of your other books. Really appreciate it. We've been talking for a long time. Uh, it's a pleasure to finally have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed this, hour, this conversation.
as I always do when I talk to you. So thanks for having me. If you're interested in the various books that Fazal has written, we're going to put the links to that into the speaker notes. But it's hard these days to pass a bookstore and not see Lyft uh, on, on this place. Congratulations Thank again you. on your bestseller. Thanks. And same to you. Same to you on your on your book. And we have very similar thoughts and ideas. Uh, so obviously we connected on that level. Wonderful. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe, like, share, or comment. Until next time, let's make work matter.